Soulmates, 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 we are back. Happy hump day. <laughs> I know, right? It is Wednesday. Plenty of uh, conversation here at Fox Souls Black Report, including the work being done to reduce the number of black and brown children in foster care and how black farmers in Florida are being given a chance, a second chance, that is, to grow their businesses. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelide Corte, plus the newest band coming from North Dakota that will impact thousands of students. And the black author is added to this year's Pulitzer Prize class of 2023. They're the stories that impact our people. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our top conversation for the day. It's pretty heavy as the U.S. has been uh, seeing a surge in mass killings just this year alone with 19 incidents resulting in 97 deaths in just the first four months of 2023. Now, this information comes from a report by the Associated Press and USA Today in partnership with Northeastern University. Motives behind Behind these tragedies range from domestic violence to school shootings and workplace vendettas. Despite attempts by some states to impose more gun control, major policy changes at the state and federal levels appear unlikely. Although mass killings are statistically rare, experts and advocates worry about the uh, proliferation of guns in the U.S. in recent years. And the question really is, in terms of the proliferation of guns, is what are we going to do about it? Yeah. This epidemic of gun violence, we report on it, feels like every, every day, single week, every day. if not every other day. That's right. Uh, and once upon a time in this country, we had an assault weapons ban mm -hmm. that actually made a big difference mm -hmm. in terms of making sure that folks that shouldn't have had guns, didn't have guns. Mm -hmm. um, and we let that, that assault weapons ban expire. Mm -hmm. And so this is a part of what they're fighting for on the federal level. But in the meantime, you know, it's up to state and local leaders, you know, to do everything that they can. Here in Michigan, where we are right now, mm -hmm. we know that, uh, you know, Governor Whitmer um, passed a red flag law here to make it more difficult mm -hmm. for people that shouldn't have guns to not have guns. But, uh, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. I mean, how much is enough? And that ban, clearly, statistically speaking, makes other countries safe. That ban that is still in place or has been put in place in other countries, their stats are, are nearly nowhere uh, around the stats that mm -hmm. are supported here in the states. And when it comes to policy and, and lawmakers, um, you know, how, how is it that you can't look over these these victims and the families of these victims and and the suffering this incident in allen texas uvalde uh, those were babies you mm -hmm. know those guns destroyed uh, those babies bodies um let's not talk about um uh, mother emmanuel mm -hmm. and those nine victims i mean you could just go down the list uh of of the victims and the suffering and the family and the fallout how can not that not encourage you and inspire you for change for safety for, yeah. for, to, for our safety and the safety of, of future generations to come, these babies will not have a chance to, to, to experience anything that mm -hmm. their life had in store for them. You're right. And, and, and you know, you take the fact that you have these um, red flag laws mm -hmm. uh, that, that can make a difference, uh, but you have folks that instead are passing laws that allow for open carry, mm -hmm. right? There are a lot more states today that are open carry states. Mm -hmm. And then you throw in the fact that white supremacy violence is on the rise. Hate crimes are on the rise. And so you put all of these factors together along with people's ability to get uh, 
you know, semi-automatic weapons that they don't need, uh, weapons of war, mm -hmm. right? And, and look at what's happening across our country, mm -hmm. right? And so this is an example of a gross disconnect between the leaders of our government, gross, the leaders the in least. our states. That's right. Uh, and, you know, everyday people, ordinary people across the country, they just want to keep their families safe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a gun control protest on the House floor has propelled Tennessee into the national spotlight. State Representative Justin Pearson and two other Democrats, known as the Tennessee Three, were expelled. But their activism has kept attention on the state, with thousands protesting for gun control. Despite Governor Bill Lee calling for action, Republican lawmakers remain noncommittal mm -hmm. about legislation. Pearson and Nashville's Representative Justin Jones have since been restored and their activism has generated campaign cash for Democrats. Pearson hopes to use the resources to push for preventing gun violence and boosting other progressive issues. And joining us now is Tennessee lawmaker Justin Pearson. We want to thank you for your time and welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. Thank you so much. I'm uh, glad to be here with you and thank you for the work you do. Indeed. Thank you for the work that you do. Mm -hmm. And so in light of the recent Allen, Texas mass shooting, we know that the Tennessee Three recently met with the White House to talk about the U.S. epidemic of gun violence. What additional measures are you pushing the White House to take? Yeah, the reality is the epidemic of gun violence is happening because we have a proliferation of very bad laws being passed at the state level across our country. In Tennessee, we saw permitless carry. We are seeing legislation that'll make it easier for an 18-year-old to get a gun. And it is easier in our state to get access to a weapon than it is to get medical insurance. Uh, and this is a problem that's happening across our country. And for the executive branch and President Biden and Vice President Harris, they were very supportive of our efforts of what we were doing at the state level, encouraging of the fact that they are putting resources behind departments to help prevent gun violence, which is something that we need to see. Uh, and the reality is we have to look at what's happening in our state houses. It's what's going on in our state house and our state senate that's really determining whether or not we're having legislation that is more progressive or legislation that is regressive. And in the Tennessee state house, the special session was called for August 21st, and we're going to be there, and we're going to be demanding red flag laws, an increase in expansion of universal background checks, and doing more as it relates to resources for preventing gun violence in the first place. And it isn't just mass school shootings that we have to be concerned about. We have to be worried about the everyday shootings that are happening in our communities like District 86, the one I'm fortunate to represent, and do everything that we can uh, to prevent this happening into the future. Indeed. So we know that the Governor uh, Bill Lee recently called for legislation to keep firearms away from people who could harm themselves or others. So tell us, you know, what's on the table and, and what meaningful measures actually have a chance of getting passed? Yeah, I mean, we have to be honest that we're operating in an institution that is rooted in white supremacy, that's rooted in patriarchy, that is rooted in injustice and oppression of people. They expelled the two youngest black lawmakers in Tennessee because we did a peaceful protest advocating for the end of gun violence. But that was antithetical to what the National Rifle Association wanted them to do. It was antithetical to what the Tennessee Firearms Association wanted them to do. And because we spoke up and because we stood up, uh, we were expelled. But the reality is the people are demanding 
to be heard and for change to happen. I'm talking about nine-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 15-year-olds who are coming to the state capitol and demanding change. And so I do believe extreme risk protection orders like red flag laws are on the table. I do believe in expansion and services for mental health care is something that I've heard a couple of Republicans to talk about, but they have not had a change in heart. They have had a change in perspective and a realization that the thousands of people across our state who no longer want this status quo that is leading to death of children mm -hmm. and death of people is not something that we can accept and tolerate. Representative Pearson, do you think your brief expulsion from the Tennessee State House was simply a political miscalculation or is an example of anti-democratic behavior on the part of Republicans? It is anti-democratic to expel duly elected lawmakers from their positions and disenfranchising their communities. When I was expelled, a majority black district was disenfranchised by a majority white supermajority in the Tennessee State House. They are taking our democracy and turning it into a mobocracy where mob rules instead of the people. And it is that disconnect between people and those who are in positions that are supposed to be able to help them that is leading to bad policies or inaction. Yeah, so we know this expulsion catapulted you and, and the other two uh, into the spotlight, kind of making you guys, this, you or you in particular, this overnight um, sensation. But it's quite clear this has been your, your ministry, your calling for some time now. We know that you're the son of an English teacher and a preacher, a PK. Um, tell us how your parents uh, shaped the leader that you have become and, and what they think about uh, your, your performance, your track record thus far. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be here without my mother. Uh, being who she is. You know, my mother had uh, her first son as a teenager. Um, mm -hmm. uh, my parents uh, uh, were not born into wealth, but they had two praying uh, mothers. I had two praying grandmothers uh, who helped to build them into who they are. Uh, and having a mother and uh, who's a teacher and a daddy who's a preacher mm -hmm. has been extraordinarily meaningful because we've always had a vision and a faith, a vision of a better future than the one uh, present that we have, and also a faith that that future was possible. It was possible through education. It was possible through access to opportunity. And it was possible with God and the ancestors on our side. Mm -hmm. And it is that spirit that my parents have instilled in myself and all four of my brothers uh, as well that has helped to propel us in this moment to be who we are and to be strong in our convictions about what is morally right and what is just and to fight for that. And I'm really fortunate to have a family that's that strong. I have an amazing fiance, as you see in all the mm -hmm. videos next mm -hmm. to me, um, who is encouraging, but also in the work. Um, and that's what I have in this family is people who are committed to the work of serving our community. And that's what we need because we know that we are right. And I, there's no guarantee about the days that we will when we will win in this fight. But there is a guarantee that if we never quit, we can never lose. And speaking of serving the community, we know that you've done so much since the age of 15, all to better your community. Uh, what's your message to the young people that are, are watching right now that may doubt their ability to make a difference? And, mm -hmm. and, and what's your message around not just making a difference, but doing so while maintaining a sense of joy? That's, that's mm -hmm. definitely something that we feel when we see you on the screen and Absolutely. in person, is that you still retain a sense of joy while walking in your purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first speech I gave really to people in positions of power was to demand textbooks when I was 15 years old at our school. And that care and concern of my community has been unabated, whether we were fighting for textbooks or fighting billion dollar corporations seeking to pollute our land and, and, and uh, pollute our water with the pipeline. And now we're fighting in the pursuit to end gun violence. The reality is we always have had power. It is intrinsic in who we are and what we are, that we are powerful people. 
and to every young person uh, in Generation Z, every millennial, people who are younger than that, like you've got power. Uh, and you are the hope that a lot of people have been praying for and waiting for. And the reality is this is our moment and this is our time to act. And the Pokin uh, uh, Church would say, the, the joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. Listen. Uh, and the world can't take it away. That's right. And it is that spirit of God that is within us that is going to help us in this struggle for justice. But we cannot relent. We cannot give up. We cannot quit because we are powerful people. If slave ships and cotton fields couldn't stop us, certainly this uh, current tribulation will not. Sounding like a real PK Come right about now. now. I, now. Should I grab my wallet, pass the hat. and offerings, pass <laughs> the hat? And let me tell you what I'm looking forward to, because this crown that you wear, I'm looking forward to the expansion. It says so much without saying anything at all. Keep that thing growing. I, I, I want one of them Jackson, <laughs> Jackson five pros. I, I, I absolutely love it. It's so powerful, you yeah. know? So powerful. Uh, so Tennessee Representative Justin J. Pearson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for uh, continuing to put, you know, yourself on the front lines, getting into that real good trouble that we often talk about here on Fox Souls Black Report. You're an official soulmate now, so we got to have you back to keep us abreast of not only the progress uh, in Tennessee, but uh, nationwide, especially as we enter into this election season. That's we appreciate right. you. Of course, thank you all so much. God bless. Indeed, God bless you as well. All right, the United Nations has concluded that uh, the U.S. needs to address police brutality and discrimination against black people. You don't say. The experts called for a nationwide commitment to address the discrimination suffered by black Americans in their daily dealings with the law. The visit marks an uh, in intensification in the U.N.'s focus on racial justice in America uh, in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. U.N. experts visited six U.S cities and found a pattern of racial inequality uh, that could be traced to the legacy of slavery and legalized discrimination. The U.N. will uh, present their final uh, report in Geneva this fall. Water is wet. <laughs> right. Thank you, U.N. Right. Well, you know what? But this is an important step. It's important that, it, that an international body, has the United Nations, mm -hmm. has gone on a tour across the United States and they said, wait a minute, hold up. <laughs> what is needed is a whole of government approach. There needs to be more than just slogans and calls for reform, right? And so, you know, there's a lot of well-meaning folks out there, but we need to roll up our sleeves and we need to mobilize a, our, our entire government mm -hmm. to do something about this. Because, yeah. you know, we're not just talking about, you know, you know, individual acts of racial injustice, mm -hmm. but we're talking about systemic inequality, yeah. systemic injustice, right? Mm -hmm. And so for all the people out there that are saying, don't pay attention to critical race theory, right? Don't pay attention to the study of structural racism. It's well, real. Well, the UN is, ex is, is saying exactly that. It's real. That structural racism mm -hmm. is, is a major challenge to the United States, yeah. and it's about time we do something about it. And I'm hoping the folks who are pushing for reparations will grab hold of this report and really pay attention this fall when they release the final findings, because everything that preliminarily that has come out supports uh, the uh, cause for, for, for reparations, the case for reparations. And I know a lot of times you just can't 
throw money at it, although money here in America, the way we view it and use it, does help. But we need deeply rooted systemic change, change in policy, mm -hmm. change in laws that will positively affect our lives. And so we can begin to, to move forth and really equal the playing field. The playing field is still very unequal. We're not even starting at the starting line. You know, you've got folks with about a 400 plus year start. And that's gonna be very difficult for our culture, our community to kind of catch up. But it's gonna start with these policies. It's gonna start with these laws. It's gonna start with acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And you could throw some money at it too. Yeah, and shout out to, to Ben Crump and so many of the organizers yes. and civil rights leaders mm -hmm. that took their case to the United Nations. Remember the George Floyd family, you know, mm -hmm. had petitioned mm -hmm. the UN, you know, to take a look at some of the, mm -hmm. the racial injustice being perpetrated by uh, law enforcement here in the United States. And so, you know, those sorts of meaningful steps um, do in fact make a difference. Moving along, the Congressional Black Caucus held a closed-door meeting to discuss the Republican Party's alleged attack on democracy. Following the meeting, U.S. Representative Stephen Horsford led a press conference to discuss how the CBC plans to protect black Americans' fundamental rights. Horsford demanded immediate action in response to recent expulsions of state legislators and a North Carolina Supreme Court decision on voter ID laws. The CBC plans to launch the Summer of Action to Defend America and will unveil legislative and legal plans and executive orders to protect democracy. Nicole and I, we talked about it yesterday. We are inside of commis commencement season and VP Kamala Harris will make history as the first woman to deliver the commencement speech at West Point. This happens on May 27th. This will be her first visit to West Point and officials there say they are honored to have the vice president as their commencement speaker and look forward to her inspiring remarks to the cadets. Harris has previously delivered commencement addresses at the U.S. Coast Guard, Academy and the Naval Academy. Her and the president are busy on that commencement trail. And I, I just think it'll be all ears for everybody because there's no doubt as President Biden uh, has put in his bid to be our president for another four years, I'm sure they're going to touch on that in these speeches. Mm -hmm. Well, know? I mean, this is just another historic first mm -hmm. on the part of the vice president. Um, just the fact that in 200 years, the 200 year history of West Point. Mm -hmm. Not one woman, mm. not one woman in the United States of America has spoken at a commencement address. What does that say about who we are? Mm -hmm. What does that say about the fight against gender discrimination? You know, and so, you know, it's great that she's delivering this speech. It's great uh, uh, that, that she's, she's doing it and she's, she's a historic first doing it. But we've got to do better. Yeah. 200 years? Yeah. And, and this is and the I'm first time? I'm thinking in my mind the incredible women that could have been, you know, a part of those commis commencement speeches of the past who yeah. could have been invited in. Yeah. Whether you agree with their politics or not. That's right. That's right. The it, accomplishments. Great women Hillary out Clinton, there. Both, Condoleezza Rice. Both Susan. Democrat and Republican, yeah. right? This yeah, is, yeah. We're not making this a partisan issue. This is, this is about gender parity. This is about addressing gender discrimination. And if this is the first time that a woman has spoken at West Point, mm -hmm. you know, what does that say about, you know, women in the military, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and how 
whatever sense of belonging they have or don't have mm -hmm. in the military. We've got to do better. You know, I, I, yeah. want, I want my nieces and your nieces, you know, and our, our, our cousins and friends to feel like they belong. And, uh, you know, West Point ain't doing it. And so hopefully this marks a change. Tell us how you really feel. Mm, that's how I really feel. <laughs> Up next, increasing awareness around foster care and how you can get involved. So much is happening in the month of May. It is also Foster Care Awareness Month, and we'll be joined by radio host and my good, good, good girlfriend, Jasmine Sanders, who will tell us everything we need to know to make a difference. Stay close, soulmates. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. Well, May is National Foster Care Awareness Month and state leaders in Minnesota are launching a study to figure out why African-Americans and just black children in general re-enter the foster care system in Minnesota at a disproportionate rate. So according to Minnesota, that uh, judicial branch officials, the federal standard states, less than 8.1% 8 of children should re-enter foster care. Now, according to uh, 2021 state data in Minnesota, 12% of kids re-enter the system which exceeds the federal standard by 4%. African-American and black children re-entered the system at an alarming 19%. Joining us now is uh, a good friend of mine, a colleague, we go back a little bit, Jasmine Sanders, a foster care advocate and the co-host of the D.L. Hughley Show. Hey, Jasmine. Hey, how are you? Good, good to good, see good. you, girl. Good to see you too, hon. Welcome to the good show. Good trip in D.C., yeah, right? I know we had a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful time. It was good. Good look. Well, speaking of wonderful time, just this weekend, you know, I was participating in a fundraiser for uh, foster care awareness. We know that black children mm -hmm. continue to lead in the numbers for foster care reentry programs. What do you, why do you think this problem still remains and what can our viewers do about it? Well, the first thing I think is, uh, I think people misunderstand foster children, period. I mean, you have to also think that, you know, these children are gonna come with a myriad of problems when you consider the fact that there is something going on with them, you know, emotionally, mentally, a lot of those things are not really addressed. And I think, first of all, we need to advocate for more money uh, at the state and federal level to be given to organizations um, to help these children. Um, when you take a child who's already broken, either because of, you know, like in my case, um, I was given up at birth and placed into the foster system from birth all the way until I was about five years old. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand when you think about when children are first born, you know, there is a, a bond that is developed with that mother, with that parent. And when that is broken, you're going to suffer as a child, you just are. And so we need more mental health awareness for these children. We need more resources for them. And so I would encourage everyone to research as much as you can. If you have love in your heart, if you have the ability to help children in some shape, form or fashion, mm -hmm. you should give back to organizations. I am now the executive director of an organization here in Los Angeles called Arts, Film and Goods Pantry Foundation. And we do things like that. Like we're hosting uh, an art exhibit where children will be drawing and people have the opportunity uh, in a silent auction to purchase those. And all of those proceeds will go back to help these children who are in such dire need. 
Indeed. So you just mentioned that you were a you know, former foster child yourself. Talk about some of those harsh realities that black uh, foster children in particular face in foster care. You know, you said you mentioned you were a newborn, especially as you got a little older and were better mm -hmm. able to understand that maybe something isn't right or I'm not being treated the way that I should be. Talk a little bit about that, Jasmine. Well, Courtney, I will say this. It's very unfortunate, but it is true. The older that you get in the system, the least likely you are to be adopted. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. black and brown children are the last to go. We are not mm -hmm. high on the priority mm -hmm. list of what people want, you know, and it's very sad. And young boys in particular, I myself was so blessed that at the age of, you know, I almost turned five before I found my forever home. Wow. Um, and I know that would have been the cutoff. I, I was a girl, girl tend to go faster than black boys uh, and it's it's just very very sad um I don't really know the why of that. I mean, obviously, in my mind, I think race, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. systemic racism plays a huge part in that as to why, you know, young white kids are adopted faster. And then, unfortunately, when you grow up in that system, you age out and then you become homeless and they mm -hmm. send you on your way with a garbage bag with all of your belongings. So for me, uh, this is a huge passion of mine because I know it was nothing but the grace of God mm -hmm. that uh, sent me my forever home. I went to four foster families first and finally I got one that decided we're going to keep her. Oh wow. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the misconceptions about foster youth? Um, you know there is a lot of stigma out there uh, around foster care and and youth that, that, that navigate through that system. Can you dispel some of the misconceptions about foster youth for our Well first what, of all our, foster does not equal negative foster does not equal bad because you're a foster kid that does not automatically label you as that. Mm -hmm. You are just someone who needs a gentle, loving, supporting um, uh, family basically. And I, I hate that. And I remember early on, I didn't find out that I was adopted uh, until I was about 12. And then as I pursued searching my biological family, that's when I found out that I had actually been in foster families. Now, mm -hmm. truth be told, I'll be fully transparent because Courtney's a friend of mine, so I know she'll take <laughs> gentle care of me. Yeah. Um, I was a very troubled kid. Mm -hmm. And it was because I, I didn't feel loved. I, I didn't feel that I had any value. And so I acted out quite a bit. And I'm just thankful that I was surrounded by family and friends who knew that we just need to love her, just mm -hmm. keep loving on her. And I turned out just fine. Yeah. And so I think if we stop believing and buying into these false narratives about foster kids and how there is no hope for them, that is not true. Mm -hmm. um, and I think very much like any other young kid, you grow up, you have issues, you're trying to learn about who you are, uh, you're trying to find your place in this world. And if you tack on that, the fact that you were either unwanted by your family or or your family could not care for you, of course that's gonna weigh on who you are as a person and certainly uh, your level of confidence. Yeah. So, um, you know, my thing is just give all kids a chance. They deserve it. Everyone deserves to be loved and to be in a loving environment. Yeah, we, right. we, you touched on a little earlier about, you know, all the organizations, one in particular that you that you had. Uh, give us a little bit more information about that, how you're involved and how you guys take on this very daunting yet um, inspirational task of of serving uh, these young people, this this community that's often forgotten. Mm -hmm. You just on your day to day, you're not thinking about foster care and, and foster care kids. You're just not. 
You're not. And it's so sad because, and I say this mm-hmm. um, with a little tongue in cheek, right? You know, every year, well, really all year long, we look at pets and we talk hmm. about how, you know, we got to help Adopt these dogs. Adopt come on now. Yes, mm-hmm. we have all of those things, but we don't have anything consistent about foster kids. We do this once a year in this particular month. All of a sudden, foster kids become uh, the center of attention. But even then, we have to share it with so many other things. Mm-hmm. So I decided a long time ago that that I would not only use my platform, but I would try to use as much free time as I had, my resources to do as much as I could to help. So I took on the task of becoming the executive director of this organization, Arts Film and Goods Pantry. Uh, You can find that at artsfilmandgoodspantryfoundation.com for more information about all of the wonderful things that we're doing. Uh, I also was lucky enough to meet a young woman by the name of Alex Creighton here in Los Angeles. And she has an organization called the Dreamcatcher Foundation. And we are working together right now to tackle uh, some of the self-care issues that people in foster care deal with. You have to understand, we take for granted that we wake up and we have toothpaste and we have shampoo. And, you know, for girls, we love perfume and all of that. They Mm -hmm. don't have any of that. And so we are working together to help these young kids get what they need. So... Wow. You know, just do what you can, educate yourselves about the system, about the need that is there, the great need, and find it in your heart to help these children who have no one else. Wow. Thank you, sister, for all the great work that you're doing. Uh, I'm sure a number of our soulmates that are watching are going to be blessed by uh, the work that you continue to do and our ability to be a part of it. Yes, and thanks for being Thank light. You. Thanks for being Thank a voice. Tell, tell DL we said behave. I really, I do my <laughs> You know you I love you. And listen, I have a very wide foot, but if I were to be able to fit some of those uh, stilettos <laughs> behind you, I think I'd take the sparkly ones right there to your to your right. Girl. You can have them. You can have them. You can't wear them no more. I love Love you so much and congratulations on that uh, induction in the library of congress we did our thing huh we did indeed congrats to you as well my sister absolutely i love you jasmine take care we'll talk Bye-bye. to you soon bye-bye Thank indeed you. all right uh while we're still on the topic here's one hbcu that's getting it right livingstone college is opening a new center for youth aging out of foster care that's right the college has partnered with home for me a nonprofit organization whose mission is to be a voice for teens in foster care to change this data together They're launching the Center for Aging Out of Livingstone College to support youth with the resources that they need to successfully obtain their degree. We love to see it. Yeah, according to the National Foster Youth Institute, 50% of children in foster care will finish high school and less than 5% graduate from a four-year college. So helping to redirect and flipping those stats is something that this organization is on the road to doing. And like you say, we love to see it. Yeah, we love to see it. I know quite a bit about the National Foster Youth Institute as I serve on the board. That's right. Um, And, you know, just last weekend, you know, it was raising money to support Mm -hmm. the mission uh, of NFYI. Uh, But, you know, this is is a a task that I think we're all up to. I mean, there there are about a half a million kids across the country that are in foster care, Mm -hmm. right? So it is within our reach, you know, to 
not just love on them, but to give them the stability and the family that they need. You know, hopefully one day we won't have a need for foster care. Yeah. You know, because kinship care will be, you know, sort of the, the, the first priority. We want to keep people connected to their families. We want to address some of the, the challenges that they're experiencing in their families as opposed to taking them out of their families and putting them into a new family. So talk a little bit about what inspired you to join the board of this particular uh, organization. We, we know, you know, you don't come from, you know, the foster care system. You know, uh, talk a little bit about what you know, inspired you to want to take part in this effort? Well, you know, I've been a part of NFYI's board for nearly a decade, and wow. really it was uh, Karen Bass, who's mm -hmm. the new mayor of LA. Mm -hmm. um, she's been a champion of this issue for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, years and years and years ago, I learned that if you really want to do something to impact change in the education system, in the justice system, in the healthcare system, you may want to start with foster youth because they are the canary in the coal mine when it comes to addressing systemic change uh, that is uh, much needed in the systems that touch our everyday lives. Canary in the coal mine, your That's language, right. your language. Thanks for that effort, appreciate yes, that. absolutely, Indeed. absolutely. All right, coming up, there's a new bill that could help black farmers in Florida. That's right, we'll tell you all about this second chance law and how it's impacting marijuana growth in that state. You're watching Fox News Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fox Hills Black Report. Well, Florida's marijuana industry has greatly expanded since it was first given the green light, wink, wink, back in 2016. <laughs> black farmers who were not able to get a license last year now have another opportunity thanks to a new bill. So in 2021, the Florida Department of Health rolled out a process for black farmers to apply for the license. Now, the state agency received 12 applications which were evaluated, uh, or excuse me, uh, evaluated by a private contractor. Now in September, it announced uh, the intention to award licenses, but they were never finalized because of legal and administrative challenges. That's right, the new bill will now have to wait on a decision from state governor. Ron DeSantis. You know, farmers in general have been, you know, catching it, whether it's it's an economic burden or environmental, but black farmers mm -hmm. in particular, they just can't seem to win. Will, will, will they ever be able to prosper via these promises and, and this policy that is supposed to happen? I mean, they've been promised this for a very a myriad of things for a very long time and the government doesn't at all levels doesn't seem to be making good on the promises and the policies well and and you know i, I hate to say it again what? but don't hold your breath i mean you know i don't know we're 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 heading into the 2024 election cycle there mm -hmm. are rumors that uh, ron DeSantis may throw his hat in the ring to run for president um, I'm not sure if him signing a bill like this would play well with uh, the MAGA base uh, of the Republican Party that he would need to woo uh, during the Republican primary. And so I don't know, but I think you're right. The injustice that we have seen mm -hmm. time and time again for black farmers, mm -hmm. you know, should be unacceptable. You know, I mean, make them whole. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we know that that was one of the promises that the Biden administration made. 
when they were running in 2020. And, you know, with, you know, Tom Vilsack as the Agri Ag Agriculture Secretary and Marsha Fudge as the HUD Secretary, they've tried to make some headway on that. Uh, but, you know, still too many black farmers have not been made whole. Well, we can go all the way back talking about promises to, to it. I don't think it's applicable anymore, but 40 acres and a mule, You're which right. folks never got or, or which they were cheated out of as well. So this is, uh, you know, long, long withstanding. And DeSantis has a few bills on his desk to be signed yeah. that may not agree too well with his base. So it will be interesting to see what he chooses to do. Well, hopefully he doesn't wait too late because this is a budding industry, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the marijuana industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, uh, black folks um, are not uh, as much a part of that industry and don't have the opportunity that they should. And so we'll continue to keep you posted mm -hmm. on that. But for now in Chicago, Police have taken multiple people into custody in connection to the deadly shooting of off-duty officer Arena Preston. She was gunned down over the weekend and her family says all she wanted was nothing more than to protect and serve the community that she was a part of. Our friends over at Fox 32 bring us the heartbreaking story. To think that I have to bury my baby Area 2's courtyard filled with fellow officers, elected officials, and relatives. Preston's mother saying she loved her job dearly, especially her co-workers. When she joined the department, she was like, oh, I'm about to go out with such and such. And she always used last names. I was like, what the hell is they first names? District 5 Commander Tyrone Pendarvis saying the fallen officer could de-escalate situations like none other. She didn't make one arrest that day, but later on, Later on that, like a day, mm -hmm. come to find out when we told the arrestee what happened to her, yeah. the arrestee broke down crying. Right now, five persons of interest are being questioned by detectives. The 24-year-old was gunned down walking into her Avalon Park home overnight Saturday. Sources say the suspects between 16 and 18 years old appear to have been on a robbery spree day of. Preston, a three-year veteran of the force, was set to graduate with her master's degree this coming Saturday. She was a goal setter. She wrote everything down that she wanted to do. And she did everything that she wanted to do. With tears, hugs, and smiles, Commander Citywide greeted Preston's family one by one, her mother now with a special request. If you guys believe in the power of prayer, keep us in your prayers. And so they did. With hands lifted, mourners looked to a higher power for strength in the days ahead. We come to you tonight with heavy hearts, but we know that you can lift the burden off those heavy hearts. Mm, just a... Heartbreaking. Mm, it is very hard. It's yeah. beyond, you know, heartbreaking, that, that uh, bright, bright future of uh, those suspects' uh, youth. Um, you know, and, and Chicago, uh, like a lot of cities across the country, they, they got a problem. <laughs> and uh, it, is, it is wreaking havoc on good abiding um, citizens, in this case, uh, an officer who um, obviously was very special in how she handled um, her time as an officer on the streets. And uh, there's just really no words. And for that mother to be able to speak mm -hmm. As, as, as strong and powerfully as she was able to at that, uh, that memorial, it's beyond heartbreaking. It is beyond it really heartbreaking. Is. And, and, you know, the, the, the fact that she, um, you know, she was in it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. 
You know, and sometimes, you know, with a lot of the stories that we report, we don't always feel that folks join law enforcement for the right reasons. Right. Um, she really was aspiring to make her community better. And, um, and so our hearts go out to uh, the neighborhood and, and uh, her family in yeah. Chicago that are just beginning their healing process. Yeah. Let's talk about another mother who uh, this time is in Wisconsin. She's asking for the community's help in the search for her missing daughter. 46-year-old Lashiki Hill was reported missing back on March 26th. The Racine Police Department says they continue to lead search efforts and have followed several tips and have even conducted interviews, but with absolutely no results. Her mother, Georgia Hill, believes more could be done, saying she wants the world to know in hopes of her daughter's safe return home. And we've had plenty of discussions about the missing and the exploited particular uh, black women and children and how just the stereotypes alone and how they're classified. A lot of times the white counterparts will be classified as missing, which puts things immediately mm -hmm. into action. And for black women and children, it's, it's like a runaway abandonment type of a situation, which slows up that process. Yeah, well, I'm really excited uh, for all those reasons and more that we're going to be partnering with the Black and Missing mm -hmm. Foundation. And mm -hmm. every other week we're going to be featuring, you know, a different family and a different story uh, that um, is a reflection of some of the disparities that we see among the folks that are missing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking forward to that. Moving along to North Dakota, where the governor has signed a bill that allows transgender pronouns to be ignored. The law gives public school teachers and government employees the right to ignore pronouns that transgender people use. It also requires teachers to alert a parent or legal guardian if the student identifies as transgender. Those students will also need prior approval to use the bathroom of their choice. Critics say the bill violates constitutional rights and could expose children to dangerous situations if a parent does not approve. Come, come on, is it North Dakota? North I, ain't, Dakota. I ain't heard about North Dakota since geography class in, in, <laughs> in elementary school. Come, North Dakota, come on now. Take the energy to better understand why and to hear the voices you know, of these young people who, who, who feel very uncomfortable in their bodies, how their immediate families, their parents are, are handling and processing the situation. I feel like there should be more energy into understanding than to just, you know, cut them off and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, or we're gonna ignore you and, and, and hope, hope this, this, this issue goes away. It doesn't work like that. This is, the, we are human beings, and although you may disagree, um, they still exist. Yeah, they still exist and they're still human. Yes, and I think this is what we're missing <laughs> in this story is that these are human beings that have bodily functions like you and I have, yeah. you know, and, and to prevent them from being able to go to the place where they feel like they belong, mm -hmm. that aligns with their gender identity, right? There's something about that that is inherently humiliating. Mm -hmm. It's humiliating. You know, and, and I understand that, you know, everybody may not understand or be comfortable. I get that. But I think we lose track. These are human beings. And I even have take issue with some things, but I would never dismiss anybody and how they feel and how they identify. You just can't just dismiss folks. There's some kind of middle ground that you can that you can come to. So therefore, you know, everybody is served, if you will. All right, still ahead, show me the money. That's what Cardi B is telling YouTuber, vlogger Tasha Kay. That's right, we'll tell you the latest in the multi-million dollar court ruling when we return. You're watching Fox Hole's Black Report.
Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, the WGA writer's strike is now in day 10. Wow. And sources say there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, at least anytime soon. So we've also, we're also hearing reports that Vice President Kamala Harris plans to cancel next week's appearance on MTV so she won't have to cross a picket line. But it's the celebrities who are joining the fight with the writers, especially Niecy Nash. I am Niecy Nash Betts from the Rookie Feds and Never Have I Ever. Dahmer, but I am here now supporting writers. I'm an actor who is in support of writers getting a fair contract. What I love the most about being here is that there's so many different units, um, unions here, so it's the solidarity for me. Go writers. You see my sign? This outfit makes me look good, but writers make me sound better. Okay. As negotiations between uh, begin between the directors' uh, union and studios, hundreds of writers continue to walk strike lines at major studios, as you saw there. Yeah, writers hope the other unions will help put more pressure on the producers to reach agreement. This is really serious, and it, it's a trickle trickle out effect. Um, our uh, assets guy Ryan was just saying how you know if there's no writers, then there's no show, and if there's no show, there's no you know stagehands, managers, showrunners, technical folks, makeup folks. So this is this is a big deal. Yeah. And um, you know, with that being said, I do believe a lot of those folks who are affected by the strike are in support of it. Who who who? Who, who wouldn't be in support of folks just asking to make a better living in one of the most expensive states to live in, which is California, and they're asking just for a, a, a small little yeah. increase that'll help them get over the hump mm -hmm. of paying mortgages and rent and groceries and car yeah. notes. And you're right, writers are foundational to the That's industry. Right. Once upon a time, folks used to be able to be full-time writers, and, and that was their ticket into the middle mm -hmm. class. And, mm -hmm. you know, that has... Uh, unfortunately become further and further out of reach for writers, you know, that are uh, really sort of, you know, struggling to make ends meet, even while there are a number of studios and streaming services that are making a whole lot of Money. Right. And so, you know, this is they're, they're making good trouble. This is an important fight. Uh, you know, they're saying, you know, give us our fair share. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, we're going to continue to keep our eye on this. Yeah. But a lot of our favorite shows, you know, may disappear, mm -hmm. um, you know, as this uh, this uh, fight doesn't have any end in sight right now. Absolutely. And speaking of a fight, rapper Tory Lane's request for a new trial has been denied. The rapper was convicted on three felony uh, felonies last December for shooting rapper Megan Thee Stallion. Attorneys for Lane's argued that evidence was admitted into trial improperly. Lane faces up to 22 years in prison and possible deportation as he is native to Canada. Cardi B said, pay me my money, even if it has to come in installments. This comes as the rapper has seized another $640 of vlogger Tasha Kay's YouTube earnings. You may remember Tasha Kay lost a defamation lawsuit against Cardi B, forcing her to pay the rapper almost $4 million. Court documents show that Cardi has already received a little over $9,000, all which have come from Tasha Kay's YouTube earnings after paying Google their cut. Ooh, she got a long way to go to pay that off. Long way to go. Three outstanding black authors were honored with Pulitzer Prizes this week. Rhiannon Giddens, Robert Samuels, and Toulouse Olorunapa. 
uh, all discussed their awards on a podcast called Writing Black that celebrates black writers. They were all named part of the Pulsar's class of 2023. 20, uh, Giddens, who's a musician, was named for her opera Omar. Samuel uh, Ola Runapia, uh, who uh, are both Washington uh, Post colleagues, they were named for their groundbreaking breaking, uh, biography of George Floyd. So you've got Robert Samuels and Toulouse, the authors, Ola Runpia, and then the uh, young lady is the uh, musician. Good for her. That's incredible. That, That's, isn't that it's, wonderful? It's, it's really it's incredible. Like a big, huge, high, one of the highest honors you can receive. Yeah, Pulitzer yeah. Prize. And, and, you know, it's, it's really great to see that George Floyd's story, that his life and his mm -hmm. story still continue to matter, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I, I would venture to say George Floyd probably would have never imagined that his story would win somebody a Pulitzer Prize, mm -hmm. right? And it's not just about them winning the prize, but it's about them continuing to raise consciousness around the injustice mm -hmm. that led to the murder of George Floyd. Yeah. So it was good to see that particular uh, biography yeah. uh, win the Pulitzer Prize. His life mattered, but in wake of his death, his murder, um, he has changed the world mm -hmm. and continues, the world, and continues to do just that. That's right. It's, it's really absolutely amazing. It really, really is. Mm -hmm. Alrighty. Well, up next is our favorite segment, Black Excellence. And today we're celebrating, that's right, you guessed it, Black Girl Magic. So we're going to introduce you to this little, little girl who is accomplishing so much at a very early age. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Fox News Black Report. 12-year-old Adara Perez, who has an IQ higher than black, uh, higher than Albert Einstein, rather, is earning a master's degree. Adara is a native of Mexico City and from Afro-Mexican descent. She has an IQ of 162 and has already received a bachelor's degree in systems engineering and is currently studying a master's program in mathematics at the Technological University of Mexico. She was able to read and write by the age of three and by five she was doing complex algebraic equations and is able to solve math problems that us grown folks can't even solve. <laughs> <laughs> Her exceptional abilities have not come without challenges. Adara was bullied in school and struggled with mm. depression and anxiety. She credits her dream of becoming an astronaut at NASA for giving her the strength to persevere, and we are glad yeah. about it. Who has an IQ higher than Albert Einstein? Well, this baby does. That's who does. I'm sure there are a lot more people out there. I'm not sure if everybody gets tested for it, mm -hmm. right? You know, but, you know, yeah, we're smart, too. Well, don't test me. We have IQ, I, high I, IQs, too. It might not sh it show up in the IQ, but for me, it, it would show up in every, like, I've always been good with common sense and, like, you know, independence and perseverance but and there's, fearlessness. But there's different types of IQ, yes, different types of intelligence. And I think we're made to think that there's only one type of intelligence that counts. Mm -hmm. Lots of different types of intelligence. And, and so. speaking of intelligence, 
uh, Representative Pearson, who we had on today. Incredible. He blows me away. He is definitely somebody to watch. Uh, I just really feel like he's walking in his purpose. You he know, is. talking he's to him. This is my first time interviewing him, mm -hmm. but every time I, I, he kind of reminds me of of John Lewis in some way. Mm, a young um, John Lewis. Yeah, in terms wow. of just sort of walking in his purpose. There's there's a sureness mm -hmm. um, and a humility that he has that yeah. um, is and a joyfulness that he has as well. The composure blows me away. Yeah. The composure that was really heavy. Yeah. What happened? That expulsion yeah. and being catapulted into the spotlight. Yeah. Spotlight like that. And, and also great and, seeing Jasmine. Yes, it was. I love my Jazzy Boo. Yeah. Um, just her her calling and to come from the inside out because she was a part of the system. To come from the inside out and to be that shining success mm -hmm. story and that light to let people say, hey, first and foremost, you know, you, you can make it. And then two, we need to pay more attention to this foster care community. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate her sort of you know, addressing some of the misconceptions about foster youth out yeah. there because there are a great many, um, but there are a lot of great kids out there. You know, she's right. You know, black kids, particularly black boys, mm -hmm. are some of the last to be adopted. Mm -hmm. And so uh, hopefully somebody watching out there is feeling inspired. Indeed. For the full run on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Souls video on demand on any of our partners that you see here. You can even access past shows and other good, good content. Don't forget, Soulmates, download that Fox Soul app. It is free. Thanks for joining the conversation today. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicole. Cordelia Corte, on behalf of the entire team here at Fox Souls Black Report, stay lifted. And stay safe and get you a pocket square like that one there. Kente. Oh boy, I Kente. like that one. That's a good one. Come on, ministry. <laughs> pocket square ministry.